We are back for another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're going to zoom in on the clubs just below the league summit as that race for the next year's champions, Europa and Europa Conference Leagues. It's getting pretty spicy indeed. With me this week is a man with a taste for the spicy, I hope. Uh, it's Adam Kahn. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. I'm more of a more of a medium spicy guy when it comes to maybe ordering an Indian takeaway, but I love to be called the spicy man. I guess I'll take that. <laughs> okay, what, what about what about Thai or Mexican or any of the other you know potentially spicy cuisines out there? Yeah, I guess I guess Indian is probably the spiciest one you can go to. So I think for Thai or Mexican, you know, maybe just push it push it to a to a spicy level there. So. Let's maybe talk about the football instead. <laughs> okay, we'll do what we can. As I said, we're going to be right back with the best and the rest of uh, Match Day 30 in the Bundesliga. While I have you here, please do subscribe to the pod. Please leave us a five-star rating. That would be really awesome. It helps get the word out and helps people find the pod. And, you know, do consider becoming a supporter on Patreon if you like. We got tons of timeless content over there. Back in a moment. comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 30. That means uh, this was the fifth to last match week. Things are tight in a lot of spots in the table. We'll get down to those in a moment, things like the relegation battle. But I really want to zoom in for the most part this week on uh, what's been going on with the Champions League places, third and fourth, as well as fifth, sixth, and potentially seventh, which would be Europa League and Europa Conference League spots. Certainly the marquee match of the weekend in the Bundesliga in terms of placement in the table was Leverkusen versus Leipzig. That was the two teams entering in third and fourth place. They actually exited the match day in third and fourth place, but they had swapped spots in the process. That's because Leipzig got a 1-0 win in Leverkusen. This was a tight game. This was a pretty even game It for most stretches. Some chances at both ends, but um, some, some pretty canny midfield play for large stretches. It was eventually decided by a quick counter, which was capped off by a Dominic Soboslai goal. I think that was a little bit um, deflected by Jonathan Ta, so maybe there was a bit of fortune in there. Domenico Tedesco, the coach of Leipzig, he looked extremely pleased with the result, perhaps because he got away with so much rotation in his starting 11. It seemed like he really took one of those players who had been rotated in, Tyler Adams, off guard, jumping into his arms at the final whistle. And, and Adams seemed to be completely shocked and kind of bewildered by that. What did you make of this game? Did you feel like the better team won? Were you impressed by the fact that, that Leipzig got this result, considering they really switched things up? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the fact Leverkusen versus Leipzig. The last thing you'd think of is cagey affair. But as you said, for large stretches of this game, that's exactly what it was. Leipzig making seven changes to the side that beat Atalanta on Thursday. Of course, they have a very big Dave Babel call match on Tuesday. So right decision from Tedesco to do that. And, well, I mean, it definitely paid off. You, you see the fact that Leverkusen have been on a slight decline, something that isn't exactly unfamiliar to the Leverkusen fan base this falling off in the springtime. Whereas Leipzig, I mean, they're not just the most informed team in the Bundesliga. 
perhaps in all of Europe, I can't really think of any other side, bar maybe Liverpool, who is in better form than Leipzig right now. They're just dominating in Europe in the Europa League, dominating in the Bundesliga, the best rook run the team. And so much of that is due to that match changer once again, Christopher Nkunku, coming off the bench and really just adding a spark in this match, what he's been able to bring to, to a Leipzig side, even during Jesse Marsh's reign, which wasn't always the best, is, is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It, it almost felt like all the team had to do was just hold it together until Nkunku could come onto the pitch and uh, really provide the difference. As you mentioned already, there's lots of cup action for Leipzig at the moment. They got that big win in Bergamo to uh, advance past Atalanta in, in, in the Europa League. They've got a home match against Union coming up this week in the DFB Pokal. That's the, the last four of that competition. The week after that, they've got a home leg of a match against Rangers in the Europa League. And then, you know, it just goes on and on from there. I guess the evidence from this match was that rotation is not going to hurt them, but they're going to be having to do that for the foreseeable future. Do you trust them to sort of keep up form, this blistering form that's seen, though, I think, lose once since the turn of the year with all that rotation that's going to be in store? Yeah, I mean, I think I said it right at the beginning of the season in one of my first editions of my newsletter, but for all the Bundesliga squads, I think that Leipzig is by far the deepest one. I mean, we'll get on to Bayern in just a moment, but I think in Bayern you have probably 14, 15 players who you could say could could be part of a starting eleven. Whereas at Leipzig, I think you're reaching around 1920. And you look at, again, guys like Yusuf Poles and Halstenberg, players that haven't necessarily played a huge role this season, but when they're called upon, they can deliver. Nevertheless, though, you still have a game changer like Nkunku. It's just on that other level, and we see it once again. I just, just looking at some of the statistics heading into this game week, I mean, when Nkunku scores or has an assist, Leipzig basically always win 2.67 points per game when he scores. But when he doesn't score, when he doesn't feature, that goes all the way down to 0.92. So a ginormous drop off. I mean, that's the difference between being less than a point off Bayern in first and being behind uh, Hertha Berlin in 16th place. So you just see how important he is for that attack. And although we have guys like Dominic Schobosai, who's who's actually been pretty impressive with limited minutes, Andre Silva kind of looks to be coming into form and then drop off again. But Nkundu is clearly the talisman there, and and what he's able to bring to the squad is just irreplaceable. Yeah, I think that's well put. Speaking of replacing Christopher Nkunku, it's a conversation that happens every time a player in the Bundesliga sort of hits that sort of transcendent height, at least at least when they're not playing for Bayern, because Bayern are generally able to hold on to their you know, transcendently great players for at least a few years. But most of the teams in the division have trouble doing that. What do you reckon Leipzig's posture will be and should be this summer, considering I can't imagine there won't be a very big club flashing some very big cash for this guy? Yeah, it's so, so difficult to say. I believe Nkunku has a contract until 2024. So then you get into that territory where you're kind of forced into a sale the next season to not let him leave on a free. But on the other hand, right, I mean, if you keep this squad together, you could definitely compete for a title. We're going to talk about Bayern later on the show. But these are kind of two squads on opposite ends of the spectrum. Bayern, of course, dealing with a lot of elder statesmen coming to the end of contracts, whereas Leipzig now have a very, very young squad, which is already performing at an immense level. Look at new signs like Josco Guardiol and Mohamed Sima Khan, guys that are on long-term contracts and have been already more than good enough to compete for a title in the Bundesliga. So from that perspective, I think that Nkunku will definitely be looking at this project and saying, hey, I mean, we're ready to compete for titles. We're doing so already this season. Look at the Europa League, the Dave Babel call, 
areas where they're now closer than ever to winning that first major title in, in RB Leipzig's history. But on the other hand, like you said, I mean, the window for a player is so short, specifically with this um, November World Cup and a very competitive French roster. So if a Liverpool comes knocking or a Real Madrid, it's always hard to say no. Yeah. Before we move on from this game, I do want to talk for a moment about Leverkusen. You brought up the fact that this is, I hesitate to say it's like clockwork because, you know, it, it happens at different times and different seasons. But at some stage in the second half of the season, Leverkusen tends to go on some kind of a slide, which knocks them out of second or knocks them out of third or occasionally even knocks them out of Europe entirely. They are now being put under some pressure by SA Freiburg. We'll be talking about them and their results uh, later. Are we maybe overstating things by saying that this is a problem for them, this particular version of Leverkusen? I mean, as you mentioned, this was a super tight game. If, if Patrick Schick had been a bit sharper, they could have won or drawn this game. Do you see fundamental trouble with this team other than results? Or do you see this as, you know, they got beat by a really good Leipzig side? Yeah, I think it's it's somewhere in the middle because obviously it's also not the first time they've been beat. We looked at the Atalanta game as well, where they were pretty poor across both legs. Other matches in the Bundesliga where it's not even a Leipzig, but a smaller side you'd say they'd be favored to beat. And they've also stumbled there as well. I mean, there's, of course, the major caveat with Florian Wirtz injured, Jeremy Frimpon as well, Timothy Fosu-Mensa. So that's both your first two right bats out. Obviously, that, that can do a lot to your season in a negative sense. But I mean... Every single side that's up there at the top, let's not even talk about Dalton. I mean, all of them have dealt with injuries this season, so it's hard to really say as an excuse that Leverkusen has injuries to deal with because it's it's everybody in the Bundesliga at this point with four matches to go has has had their fair share. And I think that what we're seeing, unlike Leipzig, is that the inexperience is coming back to haunt them a little bit. Whereas Leipzig, we see a lot of young players kind of stepping up to the occasion. And excuse me, in Leverkusen, I find it it's almost going the other way where you see guys like Piero Hincape, for example, or um, Michel Bakker, who are coming to the end of a long season. They're their first in Europe, for example, for Piero Hincape, where you're seeing them now kind of the wheels falling off a little bit and, and you're seeing fatigue start to set in. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is difficult to, when you're a Leipzig and you can basically guarantee everybody in your squad Champions League football year on year on year, because that's the trend. Uh, and you can't quite do that. At Leverkusen, that's where they want to be. They want to be in the Champions League every year, and they're there fairly often. But it is a big hampering factor in recruitment, I reckon. Okay, let's move on and talk about another interesting result from the weekend that I think has a lot of impact on maybe who's going to qualify for Europe next year, as well as uh, some interesting repercussions from the Europa League this past week. Adam, I understand that you were willing to bet your house, your life, and the lives of your unborn children on this next result. How relieved were you that Union Berlin did, in fact, get past Eintracht Frankfurt? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it was a very bold statement, and in the end I only bet about 10 euro on in actuality, but I did end up making my 25 euro back because Union, of course, did beat Frankfurt, as I expected, and I mean, how could you not, right? I mean, it's Frankfurt coming off a, a, a Thursday masterclass in the Camp Nou. The the boys are even going swimming in Barcelona after the match all over Twitter. So to see them then go to Berlin, to the Alta Forsterei, which is notoriously a very, very difficult place to go. And of course, this is a Frankfurt side, which is not exactly on course in the Bundesliga, not exactly having their best campaign ever, particularly away from home. 
So yeah, all the stars kind of aligned for Union to take the three points, and and they did as I expected in the end. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting that um, <laughs> that you were as confident as you were. I mean, I, I I thought it was quite likely that this result would go that way, but I I, I lack those cojones, my friend. Okay, what do you make of this race now between Union? and Hoffenheim. This seems to be a three-horse race for sixth place. Of course, it could turn out that seventh place will get you something, depending on how things uh, turn out with the cup. Are you buying Union as having the inside track among those three? They do have a one-point edge over Cologne and a two-point edge over Hoffenheim at the moment. I think it's difficult to say. I think that for me, Cologne and, and Union are very, very neck and neck. They're two sides that are a bit on the up with their performances. Cologne, of course, winning as well. We'll get onto that in a minute. And I also look at Cologne and then the remaining fixtures and see a lot of positives. They have at home against Bielefeld next week, away at Augsburg, to, at home against Wolfsburg, and then away at Stuttgart. So on the one hand, you could say those are three sides that have a ton to play for in, in Bielefeld, Augsburg, and, and Stuttgart. But on the other hand, right, I mean, these are all matches that Cullen is the favorite in. And in that sense, they should also be able to dictate how these matches go. And regarding Hoffenheim, I mean, I looked at the playing squad and the amount of talent that they have. And you say they should be a shoe-in for this final spot. But, I mean, their performance of late have just been dreadful. And, and it's something we see time and time again with Sebastian Hennis' side. You almost feel like they're over that curve. They finally found their feet under the new manager. And then another setback happens, which is really indescribable because it's just a squad that is too good to be tying to Grote Fürth or losing matches against top sides in the lower half of the table. Yeah. Let's think about another team who has struggled for consistency this season. Maybe not quite as dramatically as Hoffenheim in terms of you know going on skids like Hoffenheim has of late. But it's not been an easy ride for Frankfurt. I think what all their fans and perhaps even neutrals are going to remember from this season is that crowning performance at Camp Nou. But let's face it, they've got all their eggs in the let's win the Europa League basket at this point, which would get them in the Champions League. It's a pretty great prize. But like, they're out of the race for Europe through the league at this point. They are way off the pace. I don't know. I love the dice roll that's involved in that because that's how Eintracht Frankfurt are. But uh, <laughs> it's going to be really bittersweet if they can't get over the final couple of hurdles. Yeah, I mean, hey, those aren't bad eggs to have, right? I mean, those are those are free-range chicken eggs. That's how I would put it. Because end of the day, particularly with a fan base like Frankfurt, you want to compete for titles, right? I mean, obviously, it's, yes, make Europa League time and time again and get the money, and then you can secure long-term deals. But you want to be in finals, particularly European finals. And being two matches away from it in a leg that, okay, you're probably not favorites, but you're definitely in contention. I mean, you beat Barcelona, so why not knock out West Ham as well? And then you're in a European final, and not only the ticket to the Champions League, but you get to celebrate a title. I think something that Frankfurt hasn't done since the early 90s, or excuse me, they had the Dave Babel call um, win a couple of years ago, but before that, not since the early 90s. So this is a massive club, a massive club that wants to compete for titles, and they have the opportunity to do so. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to drop points with so much ease in the Bundesliga. I think that you can kind of find a better balance than what Frankfurt is currently doing. But finishing the season in 10th and losing a Europa League final, I think would still be termed as a great success, especially with all the special moments along the way, like in the Camp Nou last week. Yeah. Frankfurt have been down this road before. They made it to a Europa League semifinal just a few years back. And truthfully, if you gave me the choice, do you have to face Chelsea? 
in a, a Europa League semifinal or West Ham. I'll take the latter seven days out of the week. Ask anybody who they played in the in the Europa League semifinal that you're, they'll know right off the top of their head, right? They played Chelsea. Ask anybody what position they finished in the table. I think that at least 70% or, or pretty much everyone who isn't an Eintracht Frankfurt fan wouldn't be able to tell you. And I think that that just shows you how important these special moments are. And then that's what ultimately stays in the mind. Yep. Yep. For sure. Let's talk a little bit about SA Freiburg and their 3-0 win over Bochum. I really feel like they are now a shoe-in for a Europa League place unless they have a, a seriously bad run of results to close out the league. And I even feel like they're going to be putting pressure on Leverkusen for fourth place you know, throughout the remainder of the season. This game was really not ever very much in doubt. Freiburg scored twice in the opening 17 minutes. Bochum saw very little of the Freiburg goal in this game. Roland Schalai was the hero on the day. He scored Freiburg's uh, second and third goal. And, and in fact, the danger uh, he brought on the wing eventually uh, meant that he got pretty much mugged by Constantine Staphylidis, who was sent off in the game with uh, 22 minutes to go. So that was even more of uh, Cruz control for the final portion of that game. What did you make of of this performance? I mean, Bochum is not, you know, they're not world beaters, but they are a team who has given a lot of teams a lot of fits, and Freiburg just smacked them around. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the type of games that you always see Freiburg win, right? They take the points where a side that wants to compete for Europe takes points against these lesser sides in the division. They don't necessarily stumble very often, and it's what's made Christian Streich so successful over the years. And I think that what's so interesting about this side is how much depth they have up top for a club that has such a small budget compared to these other uh, opponents that they're um, competing against for Europe. I mean, look at Leverkusen, the amount of options that they should have as, as a side with just a monstrous amount of cash compared to Freiburg. Yet it's Freiburg who are able to reintroduce a Wuyong John after quite a while where he's been out of form and he's immediately then able to show it again. Niels Pedersen, the perennial super sub of the Bundesliga, getting to start and showing his class once again. So there's a lot of moving pieces in this Freiburg side. And yeah, I think that with the matches they have left, particularly that final match day away to Leverkusen, I can see Freiburg being at least within two points of Leverkusen and hopefully making the dream of Champions League come true for what I believe would be the very first time. Yep. Yep, I believe it would be as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, other than the relegation scrap, which, you know, somewhere, I don't know at which particular uh, fixture that's going to go down to the wire. But that's going to be the game where all eyes in Germany and elsewhere are going to be on to see who can squeak that last Champions League spot from in a head-to-head game. I'm, I'm very excited for that. Cologne, we mentioned earlier, are sort of... Just a point behind Union Berlin. They were also winners on match day 30. And winners in a game that didn't just mean keeping pace with their European rivals, but also getting one over on their arch rivals in Borussia Mönchengladbach. I mean, to beat Gladbach 3-1 in Gladbach and sort of, you know, keep yourselves in the running for Europe. I can't imagine a much better constellation for them coming out of this weekend. It's, you know, a fast start just like Freiburg from the Billy Goats in this one. They were actually up 3-0 after 35 minutes. They kind of cruised through a lot of the remainder of this game for that reason. Adam, I suspect that you have probably done some thinking about all that needs to be done this summer at Gladbach. What is on your list? 
Ooh, I mean, how many how many minutes do we have left in this podcast? Open-ended, open-ended, man. Quite a lot that needs to be done. I think that for a start, it's, it's getting to the point where you don't even necessarily see a game plan from Adi Hutter. I mean, if you watch back these goals, there's just ginormous gaps in between our defensive line, particularly that first one where you have center bats stepping out, other center bats dropping off. There's zero accountability, zero coaching, zero communication. All these factors, which, I mean, for a side that was playing in the knockout stages of the Champions League last season, is unthinkable, yet it's, it's being produced in front of our eyes week in, week out. So, yeah, I think that Gladbach isn't necessarily in a situation where they're having an off season. I think this is a bit of a more long-term struggle that isn't going to see a quick fix over the summer. Yeah, how disappointing is it to see that, you know, one coaching change and the loss of a long-term sporting director, I mean, obviously these are huge caveats, but at the same time, to see all that had been built at this club over the last decade plus basically just fall over like a house of cards over the course of one season is is kind of shocking to me. Yeah, I I mean, I I don't always want to look for the answer of, Oh, the players are downing tools, right? Because that feels like a simple answer to just blame it on the players. But in the Gladbach example, it, it does seem a little bit to be the right answer because this is a squad that has been together longer than any other Bundesliga side. I mean, this is a squad that Mats Ebel has built over up for so long. And, I mean, they haven't been able to culminate with a title at any point. So you kind of get into almost this daze of saying, okay, well, we'll compete for Europe. We'll hopefully make the Europa League, maybe even Champions League if we're lucky, but we're not good enough to to go for a title. So there's really no motivation anymore at that point, and you almost fall into a bit of self-doubt or, or perhaps a bit of um, – you just kind of think that it'll all happen on its own. And, and, and obviously the Bundesliga is so competitive, particularly this year when you look at what Freiburg and Jürgen Köln sides that were not necessarily in this European race last season but are now in it what they're able to produce, and, and yeah, Gladbach have, alongside Wolfsburg, been been on the wrong end of it. Any quick thoughts on Cologne and their run-in as the season comes to a close? I mean, getting a result like this, I think, puts a huge, huge uh, gust of wind into a team's sails. To, to go away to your arch-rival where, you know, it's happened a lot of times in this particular derby, where one team will be far above the other in the table, and the lesser team will get some kind of result. And to see Cologne basically head off the possibility of that after basically half an hour, I thought was a huge flex. Yeah, I and mean, this is something that Cologne, of course, did in the in the home leg as well. Not as not in as quick of a fashion, but they were still the dominant side throughout and capped it off with a victory. And like you said, I mean Cologne have a have an interesting run in with we mentioned the lights of Bielefeld, Alfred, Wolfsburg and Stuttgart. That can go one or two ways, right? You say that we're we're the better team in each of the fixtures, therefore we're, we're happy with it. Or you say we're playing against four sides that will give absolutely everything, right? You would rather have a Mainz, a Bochum at this stage of the season because, well, they have nothing to play for, whereas these teams have everything to play for. It goes over so much money. There's there's so much at stake, whether playing in the Bundesliga or Bundesliga 2. So, yeah, it, it'll be really interesting from Köln and, and to see if they're able to transform that impressive derby victory into these next four matches. Well, I, I think we should probably take a little break here and switch gears and talk about the top and bottom of the league after a break.
here we come back with part two of Talking Foosball Direct. I'm Matt Herman. I'm here with Adam Kahn, and it is now time to talk about the rest of Match Day 30. The top two, first and foremost. Let's sort of take them you know, both at the same time and then sort of talk about some of the constellations around the two. First in the weekend, we saw Dortmund absolutely just crush Wolfsburg uh, 6-1 at the uh, Westfalenstadion. I mean, Dortmund's title hopes are theoretically still alive ahead of next weekend's Klassiker. BVB basically decided the match in the space of five minutes, you know, Debutant Tom Rota, along with Axel Witzel and Manuel Akanji, all three of those guys scored within a very short span just prior to the half-hour mark in this game. And uh, meanwhile, Bayern the next day got past Bielefeld 3-0 in a game that put a real dent in that side, Bielefeld's chances to stay in the league. Also set Bayern up with the ability to seal the Meisterschaft next weekend against Dortmund. Adam, I, I mentioned Bayfabe's title chances more as a matter of mathematics than real anticipation. I will not be betting my house nor the lives of my unborn children on them making up a nine-point gap over the next four games. Are we going to remember this season, though, as a season where Dortmund failed to capitalize on a somewhat vulnerable Bayern side? I think it's it's hard not to say that, right? Because this is a very vulnerable Bayern side, which we'll get to in a minute, and I think what's often eluded Dortmund this season is what we saw this weekend, these big statement victories, right? Actually going to a side and completely dominating for the full 90 minutes. We've not really seen that so far this year. A lot of that has to do, of course, with Holland being out for so long. And even against Wolfsburg, right, this is him ending a, a streak of five matches without a goal. So he's been a bit of an afterthought throughout the campaign. Injuries as well. Dortmund making uh, multiple changes to the lineup because they have 10 people sidelined right now. So a lot of factors really coming together that Dortmund hasn't capitalized. But yeah, I mean, it was there for the taking, one would say. And they they just didn't have enough to ultimately push Bayern to to even be in it with the final four match days. Because that's something you'd want to expect from a Bayfo base side every single year, let alone one in which Bayern have not looked their best. Yeah, yeah, and it did help at least uh, on this particular match day. You mentioned um, downing tools and not wanting to blame results on that, but maybe Wolfsburg's uh, performance in this game might push you into that corner. I mean, I read today that this was only the fourth time since the uh, the sort of um, distance tracking era in the Bundesliga began, I think back in the season of, of 2013-2014, that a team has racked up collectively without having a man sent off less than 100 kilometers in a game. Yes, when you're down 5-0 at halftime, maybe, maybe you stop running a little bit, but there has been a little bit of discourse surrounding whether Wolfsburg and their squad are still listening to Florian Kofeld and co. Is this a combination that can last for them? Because this this was a team that, that you know, <laughs> Oliver Glasner led into the Champions League last season and has just basically, I think, for my money, been the biggest disappointment in the league. Yeah, I think we have that famous German word, Arbeitsverweiterung, right? Refusal to work. And that was all over the, the Sky Sports Bundesliga broadcast this weekend because that's exactly how you would describe this Wolfsburg performance. And I think that a lot of that has to go on the players, but in another sense, it also has to go on Florian Kohlfeldt because Matt Saints-Lacroix 
He, of course, got injured in the 45th minute, but up to that point, Kofa didn't make a single substitution, right? And you're 5-0 down before halftime. You don't make a single substitution. You don't change anything about your game plan. You don't do anything to try and, and, and fix a side that looked desperately out of their depth. So I think a lot of that has to go at the feet of Kohlfeldt, and, and he doesn't necessarily come away from this match looking any better than his players. Yep. Well, there, there's so many fires to put out at that club right now. It's, it's, it's really hard to know which one is, is burning brightest. Let's talk about a different club where there's really no fire to be put out, but there's a lot of sort of smoldering embers when it comes to, I don't know, the way that performances have or haven't measured up to expectations. Bayern Munich, this is a team that oddly is a shoe-in to win the league and has been for, for much of the season. But there really seems to be a sense of recrimination, a sense of, uh, you know, maybe are we going in the wrong direction, a sense that maybe the leadership of this club, whether that's the coach or the sporting director or the president, are not sort of putting out the best image for us in public. Things are not going great. And, and this the result that they had this past week, losing to Villarreal in the Champions League and, and getting bounced out by a team that, you know, for whatever reason is not perceived to have the, the pedigree to, to be able to do that to a side like Bayern Munich. You know, you were writing about Bayern's troubles, this past newsletter that you put out, and you, you explored, I don't know, three or four reasons that you felt were sort of biggest. Which of those would you like to sort of put at the forefront, maybe? Yeah, I think what, what becomes apparent when you really look into the issues at Bayern is that it there isn't really one precise thing that stands out, right? It isn't like you can say, oh, the left back isn't good enough. That's why Bayern got knocked out of the Champions League. Like these are, these are, a lot of them are, are long-term eroding patterns of the club, which almost on their own aren't a big deal, but all these minor infringements kind of come together to see a, a big, big club that should be competing for the Champions League now once again bow out of the quarterfinals. And it isn't just that, but it's also the fact that, of course, two years in a row, they're knocked out of the Dave Babel call early in the Bundesliga. They've also not been convincing, and although they're going to win the title, as we said, right, a better Dortmund side, or at least a Dortmund side that didn't see as much change over the offseason, could have easily taken this title away, or even, of course, Leipzig, had they found a better mold with, with Jesse Marsh or even had Domenico Tedesco at the beginning of the season. So there's a lot of factors that should probably worry Bayern fans, and like you said, it has to go right to the top, and I think a lot of this has to do with the the management change in the past few years. We saw Karl-Heinz Rummenigge as the CEO step down, Uli Hoeneß as well, and for them came Oliver Kahn and Hasan Salihamidzic, both former players like Uli Hoeneß and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, but they haven't necessarily been been able to step into the limelight with a lot of success, and a lot of that has to do with Salihamidzic in particular how they're handling personalities, right? A lot of these these factors off the field have been an issue. You looked at the fact that Hansi Flick um, left the club, a, a manager who easily could have been there for four or five years and had a big legacy like a Jupp Heynckes, for example. But a, a bit of turmoil with Hasan Salihamidzic forced his hand and he ultimately left the club. Or also, of course, with David Alaba, him leaving. And the wage demands that he wanted obviously weren't sustainable for a club like Bayern. They're not on a similar wage packet to a Man City or Liverpool. But it nevertheless shows that that these top, top players aren't willing to stay at Bayern for just a pure football sense if there's better money available elsewhere. You add to that Niklas Zula. He, of course, left for, for more personal reasons and, and a lack of being really perceived as a top player in the club, which is a pretty damning statement, one has to say. 
and also just not replacing these key exits when they left. There isn't a leader in this back line. Jerome Boateng, David Alaba were both those leaders. Since then, you have Lucas Hernandez for $80 million, but he doesn't necessarily have the vocal leadership you'd want in a Bayern center back. And, of course, that Thiago gap is still something that we've seen that has yet to been replaced. Mark Rucker was a stopgap. Jamal Muziala is, is coming into his own, but is still too young to really be relied on for a full season in free competitions. And, and you're seeing it play out in how Leandro Rex is continuously getting injured with, with long-term muscle injuries, while Joshua Kimmich is probably having his worst season in a Bayern dress this year. Injuries that Corona case, of course, have played their part, but he just looks exhausted and, and we're, we're not even in into um, May yet. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up some of their problems, both retaining some of the players who, I mean, David Alaba and uh, Nicolas Zula, you wouldn't necessarily call them aging players, but they're players who are not, you know, young players anymore. And the fact that they didn't want to sort of spend the either prime or late prime of their careers with this club, which is often playing for titles, not just German, but European, is worrisome. As is the idea that Bayern seemed determined to hold on to and center so much of their play around guys like Thomas Müller, Manuel Neuer, and Robert Lewandowski. I mean, I think, you know, you, you have to be a fool not to recognize that these are three truly transcendent players. I would say, especially in the case of Neuer and Lewandowski, like all-time greats. But you also have to be a bit of a fool not to see that probably their best years are behind them. I don't want to say that they're not playing at a spectacular level now. They are. But if you're thinking about the future of the club, you have to contend with that in, in a serious way and not just say, we're going to hold on to them come hell or high water and everything else sort of falls by the wayside, which kind of feels like what's been happening at the club. Yeah, I think that what what the issue here is that Bayern just haven't prepared themselves for for that changeover. I think they did a much better job when we saw the transition from the Ribery Robin era with Nabry coming in, uh, Leroy Sané a couple years later, Coleman slowly being built into a really routine first team starter. In that sense, they did it perfectly well. And then with Jamal Muziala right now, what they're doing with him in midfield is also another spectacular example of how they're able to bring in a young player. But in those key positions, like you mentioned, at center forward, there li- literally isn't a single player there. You're not going to have that young talent, Shupo Moting, coming in in a couple of years, right? I think that he, like Lewandowski, is getting up there. Whereas in goal, I mean, Manuel Neuer has openly stated that he's not willing to split time with anyone. And Bayern have gone along with that. So that shows you the standing that he has in the club and the decisions he's able to make. And I don't necessarily think that that getting rid of all your key older players is how you're going to compete for titles. Because, I mean, look at Real Madrid, look at Liverpool, right? They have an axis of these older statesmen. But you need to be able to have a younger core that you can rotate in. I think Liverpool, again, is a big, big example of this. They played Man City the weekend before, then went to Benfica in the Champions League, a crucial quarterfinal. They made seven changes to that side. Not because that, not because Plop wanted to just make a bunch of changes, but because he has a full squad that is able to compete at that level. Whereas for Bayern, as we mentioned earlier in the show, they have 14 players maximum that can compete at the highest level. 15 if you count Tolisso, but even there, I'm not necessarily sold that he's a player that can compete for a Champions League title. And it's something that has definitely hurt Bayern this season in terms of fitness, who they have available. If a player is having a bad run of form, he has to play. But also in the long term, because you're not ready to then move on from Neuer, Muller, and Lewandowski when their contracts run out in 2023. 
Well, do you see any big changes ahead for Bayern, whether that means in terms of allowing a player to go? I mean, there's been, I don't know how to take a rumor like this, how seriously or not seriously I should take it, but um, Lewandowski was linked with a move away from Bayern. I mean, if he's going to make a move, it would make sense to make it soon before he gets very old. And there's there's also been concerns about a few other players who have been making some higher wage demands. Do you think that there is is a world in which Bayern lets them go and sort of maybe takes a year and builds something new? Or is that just just not in the DNA of this club? I think from Bayern's own perspective, there there isn't a world. I think that they would want to do everything they can possibly to extend with the trio. I mean, you look at the, the minute distribution in this Bayern squad, and, and I mean, they're playing far more than any other player. So they're key players in Julian Nagelsmann's system, Hansi Flick's older system, and they're crucial components that Bayern want to extend with. But from the perspective of what the players want, particularly with Robert Lewandowski, I could see a reality in which he wants to leave because he's competing for a Ballon d'Or at, at an age where he probably has two years max, which he can compete for it still. And I think that he, in the back of his head, is irritated that someone like Lionel Messi, despite his his poor season that he had at, or not poor, but in relative terms, poor season that he had at Barcelona and now at PSG, was able to win that award ahead of him. And, and a way to obviously change that would be to prove, unlike a Ronaldo this season, unlike a Messi as well, that he can do it in another league. And perhaps it's at Barcelona, perhaps in the Premier League, but there's definitely a couple of options that will definitely excite him more than Someone like Mola, who who has a has a farm in Munich, right? Who has a whole family there with horses and chickens and bunnies and whatnot. Who has a whole life in Munich that he's cultivated for his entire life. And Neuer, who of course is also a German and now pretty united in that Bavarian culture. Yeah, I mean, if you want to win the Ballon d'Or, play in Spain. Okay, well, let's move on from from talk of Bayern and Dortmund to to a lesser extent to the teams who would just love to be in their position. That is the teams who are fighting to stay in the league at all costs. There were a couple of games which had a pretty big impact on the race to beat off relegation. First among them would be uh, Hertha's win in Augsburg. That was a 1-0 win that lifts them out of the bottom three, that drags Augsburg back into the thick of the relegation conversation. Maybe a little fortunate, this win, for Hertha, considering uh, a lack of clear-cut chances created. But, hey, you know, the quality of Swat Serdar's finish, this sort of running back heel, which uh, nutmegged two players on its way into the goal, it's, it's a reminder that there is some real quality in that Hertha squad, if, if not that much. And speaking of quality, Kevin Prince Boateng, he was back in the starting 11 for this game. He made a big difference in, in helping them keep control of the game. Any thoughts about this result and, and what it means either for, for Hertha or for Augsburg? I mean, Augsburg was so close to just getting themselves. I mean, they could have opened up a nine-point gap on Hertha if they had won this game, and instead they are almost back to square one. Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest match match of the, of the match day, one could say, right? Because I think not just because of the free points, but just what it does to the mood at Hertha. If they had lost this match, you don't really see a way back for them. I mean, it was at an all-time breaking point after that Union Derby. The fans literally asking for the Hertha players to give up their jerseys. So winning winning against Outsport in a crucial game sees them jump to 15th, so above the relegation zone, and also what it kind of gives as a boost for the rest of the season. And you mentioned um, Kevin Prince-Boateng, and he was really the man of the hour. He 
made his first start for 196 days, and he brought a lot of the leadership elements that they've been hoping for on the pitch this season, not off it, as we've seen him more in a cheerleader role than an actual footballer this season, but he finally brought that in. Just a couple of statistics, he was fouled more than any other player on the pitch, he won 75% of his duels, so... That that grit of a of a Berlin born midfielder, right? That you that you want this season, specifically in a relegation battle where time for fancy football, time for an Ijak Belfadil skill up top is is a little bit behind us, and now we're just trying to gain the points needed for survival. Yeah, Kevin Prince Boateng brought that this weekend, and, and hopefully he can do it again in the coming weeks, as they have some very exciting fixtures coming up versus Stuttgart next Sunday, the week after weekend after that against Bielefeld. So. It's really in their own hands. These are matches that they can win, that they should win, one would say. And uh, two victories, six points should be enough for survival. One would hope. Yeah, one of the teams that Hertha, the, the win that they got was sort of at the expense of was Stuttgart. Stuttgart slid back down into 16th place after they couldn't take more than a point from their game in Mainz. That was a nil-nil draw. The chances were there. For, for Stuttgart in the early going, but not the finishing. What do you make of that? Stuttgart is a team that I think made its bones last season for you know playing a generally a, a, an attack-minded game and getting the goals t- to go along with it. Obviously, Sasha Kalajic being in and out of the side this season has, has sort of dampened things there. But Man, they could have really, really used a goal in this game where I feel like the result was there for the taking. I mean, the result was there for the taking for, for Mites toward the end of the game, to be fair. But this was um, this was a tough one to swallow for them. Yeah, I think that phrase, the chances were there, the finishing wasn't. You can basically just copy and paste that into every single show this year for, for Stuttgart because that's basically the story of their season. And... Matt, I know that you're a Hertha fan, but boy, would I be frustrated if Hertha stays up and Stuttgart goes down because the football they play is just so much more exciting. It's so refreshing to watch. And with a Sasa Kalajic who wasn't injured the whole season, you just can't imagine Stuttgart being in this mess. And it's something that's haunted them this year. Also, players like Chris Furish, for example, a, a really inspired signing, incredible 1v1 dribbler, but like so much of the squad, just doesn't have that final touch in front of goal to actually put it into into goals that end up mattering at the end of the day. And you you just see the reality with Stuttgart going down. It, it's just going to happen, it feels like, because not being able to capitalize on the chances, playing expansive football that doesn't lend itself well at will to a relegation battle. Yeah, the ingredients are there for, for Stuttgart to go down again. Yeah, I'm, I'm not... A hundred percent there with you. I, I think that there's a pretty good chance that they'll find themselves in that bottom three, but I think that they'd still have a lot of, uh, a lot of chance of, of either getting out or getting at least into that um, 16th place where they'll at least get one more chance to save themselves. Finally, let's talk about the team who's already out and the team who <laughs> is really playing themselves out of European contention. They drew nil-nil. I like to put the nil-nil games at the end of the show because, you know, fuck that shit. Hoffenheim and Grotefurt. This is the fifth game in a row where Hoffenheim can't get a win. This um got to be pretty galling. Five match days ago, Hoffenheim were in the Champions League places, and they have now managed to play their way all the way down from fourth to eighth. Let's look at their run-in for a second. I mean, they do have some winnable games. They're away to Frankfurt, home to Freiburg, 
home to Leverkusen and away to Gladbach. I guess if you have Frankfurt and Gladbach in your run-in, a couple of teams with very little left to play for, you you have to be happy. But, you know, I don't fancy them beating Freiburg or Leverkusen at this point, even if they're at home. Yeah, I think that that on the one hand, you'd say, well, it's good that they have games against direct competition because those are kind of your six-pointers. But, I mean, Hoffenheim is, is one of the most out-of-form sides in this Bundesliga. They, against Grote Food, I mean, they didn't need, even really create a lot of clear-cut chances, a lot of possession, a lot of rotating wide and looking for David Rome to cross it in, but not a lot of actual fruitful chances. And when you look at the talent they have, as I mentioned, Rome, but also at Andre Kramaric, E.S. Bebu, Jorginho Ruter coming off the bench, they should just be doing more against the Detroit Food side at home. And rightfully so, they did get a couple of boos after the match. They'll be a team to keep an eye on. I think they have played almost up to expectations for large parts of this season. But I can't imagine there won't be some um, some some sort of a clear out if they end up the season, you know, out of Europe once again. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really great to have you back, Adam. Yeah, it was a pleasure and excited for these final few matches of the Bundesliga. Like we talked about on the show, there's so much more excitement still to be had. A lot can still change. So only more good shows to look forward to. I know so much hangs in the balance. Uh, you can find Adam on Twitter at double X, Adam Con double X, as well as read his work on his The German Football Newsletter and, and a few other places. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there. Talking Foosball Extra will be coming up in a couple of days and Talking Foosball Fantasy. They'll be back at the end of the week. Get you ready for Match Day 31. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.